Game on on 2FM. With Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green Farm's new high-protein cooked chicken breast fillets. 100% natural and packed with flavour. Thanks to Jenny Green for getting us to the end of the week. It's Friday the 17th of December and this is Game On. Coming up today, it's been a day of confusion for sports fans. As we await clarity on the new restrictions from government, we'll bring you confirmation on all of that very shortly. In soccer, Stephen Kenny mightn't have a new contract, but he's already looking ahead to the next Euros. And we all remember our first ever Euros in Germany and a big, big part of football history. And we want to get back there. Absolutely. Michael Corcoran will shed light on what the rest of the Champions Cup season has in store. And Jane Mangan will do likewise on Christmas racing. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Now, Alan Cawley is with me in studio and we are anxiously awaiting clarification on what the new restrictions mean for a sport. There has been a few leaks throughout the afternoon and what we gather is that under the new measures agreed by Cabinet, the number of spectators attending sporting events are to be limited to 50% capacity to a maximum of 5,000 people. And for people looking forward to attending sporting events over Christmas, as many of us do with the Interpros Rugby and, of course, racing festivals, that will definitely throw a few spanners in the works, Al. Yeah, it's been a bit of a... It's been a bad day, really, hasn't it, Marie? It's been a bad 24 hours. It feels like, obviously, um, we've taken two or three steps forward, but we're going right back to where we were, I feel as though, um, obviously, with last Christmas. And it's really disappointing, but... I would. I know we're a sports show, and obviously we love sport, Marie. But I'd be more interested in the likes of the hospitality sector and people like that today, in in terms of the blow that they've suffered for their jobs and all sorts of uncertainty around that. Um, with venues and and pubs and bars and restaurants having to close. First of all, finding out at five, then finding out at eight. I think it's been handled really badly, um, and not for the first time. But as you say, the sports events as well, obviously. It's a brilliant time for sports because so many people are home. We have the Interpros around Christmas. Obviously, the the racing has the Leopardstown Festival, which is a fantastic festival. And it's an outlet for so many people, which we've often mentioned many times on the show here, how brilliant sport is with crowds and how bad it is without crowds, as we know. So it's a, it's a massive blow, I feel, for everybody in the country at the moment. And you don't want to sound down. I'm always a glass half full kind of a fellow Marie, as you know, and I'd be always positive about everything. But I just think it's been a really bad day, a really bad 24 hours uh, for the country. Yeah, it feels like we're in Groundhog Day that this is like what happened around this time last year when there was so much uncertainty about what was going to happen and what Christmas was going to look like. And you're right, Alan, it's going to look pretty terrible for an awful lot of people, The particularly the ones who work in the hospitality sector and um, their livelihoods depend on that and depend on live events so to be faced with what they're being faced with tonight really shows that we don't really have a lot to worry about when you think that we're just a bit upset because we might not get to go to a rugby match or get to go to um, a racing event but there's an awful lot of people as well who are going to be indirectly affected by the fact that the stadiums are going to be at such a reduced capacity because a lot of people work in these places too and a lot of people work at the racing and it's an industry as well and there's always going to be a knock-on effect and we've seen it over the last 12 or 18 months when fans can't go to games. They Revenue isn't there and um, it affects contracts, it affects lots of people working in these associations, plenty of them are put down to part-time jobs and um, four-day weeks and a lot of people lost their jobs as well so we do need people at sport 
But again, it's that whole kind of you're 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 wrestling with the fact that you know as well that there's a reason because there's public health mm. and our health system and all the rest. So it's difficult to pontificate and to yeah, and we're, be upset. And, yeah, and to be fair, we're not trying to do that, Marie. And it's very hard to favour one over the other. And we're absolutely not doing that at all. We love sport. Everybody loves sport in this country. But the fact that the matter is people's obviously people's health is number one but then you look at obviously the fact that we're two years into this now and and that's the reality like I have friends who run pubs and restaurants and all and you're chatting to them today and and, and honestly like the desolation in, in their voices and, and you're listening to them and it's it's really really sad I was listening to the radio all afternoon and you're getting different reports from different areas of the country and pubs and restaurants and all sorts of stuff and the biggest problem for me Marie and look I'm not here to preach to anyone in terms of um, but but we're all living through this but it's just been handled so badly mm-hmm. it's been handled really badly because you look at Twitter and we obviously all follow social media and different things and that's where things are being leaked and the uncertainty around and you hear them people's voices today I was listening to shows this morning throughout the afternoon and different people coming on that run businesses and having to tell staff are we doing this? Are we not doing this? Where do I stand? What's happening with Christmas? What's happening in January? They don't know. And to think here we were last year when the pubs closed and whatever and it was six months before they reopened. Yeah. So it's just a very difficult time for everybody at the moment and I think people are really, really drained and tired. Um, not only, I suppose, physically but mentally as well. It's been really, really tough and people are making decisions as well based on the information that's been leaked and then it changes like the five o'clock, eight o'clock thing as well, which is difficult. Okay, we are going to move on, maybe not from COVID, COVID but we're going to move to a different location. We're going to cross over to Michael Corcoran who is on his way to a rugby match, a rugby match which is on. He is heading to Ravenhill or to Kingspan uh, for Ulster's game against Northampton. Michael, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, actually, yeah. Um, I'm grand. The reason on that it's coming to the time of the year when Christmas is around because the traffic, the traffic was absolutely horrific <laughs> on the way to Belfast. Uh, it's like as if everybody was trying to get home before the bad news hit anybody and uh, they were trying to make the, the most of whatever time we have to, to have a bit of fun before uh, before the, 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 the Grim Reaper comes uh, at some stage next week. But look, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic evening here in Belfast for the match. Um, cold, crisp sold out um, Kingspan Stadium and Ulster on the back of a, a victory last week over Claremont. Uh, we'll hope to build on that one. And uh, they've got a really good chance. Ian Henderson back in the starting team tonight. Uh, Dwayne Fermail and the South African making his home debut for them in front of a sold out capacity crowd, 19,000 people, up against the Northampton team who lost their match last week. Now they've got a really strong team out also, but uh, I really would fancy Ulster to, to make a two wins out of two in terms of this competition. Yeah, it's great to, to have it anyway, that's for sure. And as you mentioned, some of the big names as well will give us something to, to tune in for this evening. But Michael, I'd imagine that given the situation that we're in, when you do reach the ground, so much of the conversation is going to be about COVID and the impact that it is having on rugby, particularly European rugby. Over the last 24 hours or so, we've been kind of glued to what's been happening with the Leinster and Montpellier game and, and we saw then yesterday that as it turned out the game was cancelled because of the COVID situation in Leinster and Montpellier were awarded the points. Since then though it uh, a lot more happened and the EPCR decided to postpone five other Champions Cup games and two Challenge games as a consequence of the travel measures between the UK and France that were introduced by the French government and those games are going to be played at a later date all going to plan a lot can happen between now and um, the next uh, little while just in terms of what's happening with Europe Michael how concerned are you about the 
the future of the competition really just the integrity of it the fact that they had said they were going to not have any postponements and now quick as a flash they've decided to have quite a few yeah you see the thing is as we know like we're living in uncertain times and and, and we have been doing so for quite a period of time and i guess that's probably the frustrating thing about it um you know what, what's happening this weekend in terms of some matches not going ahead um a little bit cancelled um, and then you have some matches actually taking place. Ulster playing tonight, you know, Munster playing tomorrow, Connor playing on Sunday. So um, it's going to give a whole disjointed look to the competition, to be fair about it. Um, and that's something that I would be concerned about. Uh, there is some chat going around the place that, um, uh, you know, there's very little wriggle room at the moment in terms of trying to, trying to fit European rugby into an already crowded calendar. But there is some suggestion that maybe in April, um, there was supposed to be um, a home and away scenario for, for teams in a round of uh, last 16, uh, just like uh, the Champions League in soccer. Um, and they're saying that they may dispense with, you know, one, one of those series of matches. So it could go straight to go, go straight knockout and that the spare weekend then would uh, you'd fit in the rest of the European games that have been postponed until then. But, you know, I mean, if you're Leicester, you're looking at the matches mm-hmm. cancelled because you had a team, everybody PCR. Uh, tested and everybody coming through that all right and then um, their opposition team get get the points because they say that uh, that's the way the cookie crumble in terms of um, the medical people and, and, and this competition and then you turn around today and you see a lot of matches postponed so it's kind of um, it's a fluid situation and the rules sometimes are really really difficult to, um, to follow um, and one of the problems is you know you've got a European Competition. You have the United Rugby Championship involving the South African teams. You have a Six Nations Championship. Um, and just even as you're talking to Alan at the start of the program, there, um, just cut the tail end of it. Like, I mean, if you look at the crowd and the restrictions, and okay, people and and people have given out to me before and said, ah, you're only talking about sport. Well, it isn't only sport. I mean, you know, the people who play for Ulster tonight, the people who play for Munster are 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 Connacht on Sunday. They're, they're employees, they're workers, um, you know, and, and I mean, the thing about it is that they're not doing it for the fun, they're doing it for a living. And if you have a scenario like where, um, you know, say for example, the Munster match against Leinster on St. Stephen's Day sold out 26,000 people um, at whatever, 30 or 40 euros ahead. I mean, that's a million euro gate um, that, that's now gone by the wayside, okay? They'll allow 5,000 people in in a stadium that holds 26,000. Um, but I, I mean that's that's huge money for, and I know certainly from a Munster point of view that they're under massive pressure financially, um, and that's money that they would have been, you know, earmarking or, mm-hmm. or, or budgeting for in terms of going forward for the for the rest of the season. So it's a it's a huge financial loss. But I, I mean, you know, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect um, contracts and and players' jobs and their livelihoods, and and that's the. That's the that's the disheartening thing about about about, about this whole uh, scenario that we find ourselves in. Obviously, health comes first, but um, you know people's jobs are, are massively massively important as well. Yeah, and this isn't just an isolated weekend either. This is a situation no. that we're in now, and we're going to have to try and find our way out of it. And as Alan pointed out at the top of the show as well, like we're nearly two years in now, and we haven't found our way out of it. So, um, what the future holds for a lot of things and big event sport is one of them that. There definitely is question marks over and worries for a huge amount well, of people. Well, well yeah, like, like, you know, without, without getting too political about this, you know, I, I, that's not my intention, but like we were told last year that the vaccinations were going to be a game changer. 
Um, a lot of people got vaccinated. A lot of people got a second vaccination. There are a lot of people who have had a booster one or a third vaccination. And then last week we were told there's a pill coming at the end of January and that's going to be a game changer. So like how many, how many game changers do we need? You know, I mean, what happens if in 12 months time we find ourselves in exactly the same position and the numbers are high and there's a lot of cases and the whole thing? Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I think I think that's that's so. that's the fear, isn't it, Michael? And that's why I think there's so much yeah. frustration around at the moment, and people yeah. they're weary and tired, and um, not only physically, as I say, mentally as well. It's just so draining, and and this came as a bit of a bolt from the blue. We thought we were doing well, and obviously there was concerns we know about the virus at the moment, but it just seems like we've taken two or three steps back here, and the yeah. fact that we're two years into it, and it does. You're right about sport. Obviously, we love sport. Of course, you look at um, as I say the industries we spoke about already, but sport people's jobs this this is impacting everyone really sadly it really mm-hmm. is so the latest is that indoor sport and, and indoor events I'd imagine as well 50% or 1,000 people maximum and then outdoor is 50% capacity or 5,000 max and these are going to come into effect from Sunday so Michael Corcoran enjoy all those matches that you're going to so you are in the uh, <laughs> Belfast tonight and another couple of matches are going to be taking place as well Munster are playing cast in Coventry or no cast in Toman Park, Toman Park yeah. and, and there's, um, there's over um, there's over 20,000 tickets sold for that side I'd urge anybody who wants a night out to get to Toman Park quick before uh, before the bell tolls on whatever it is Sunday night or Monday morning basically because that could be that could be your last night out absolutely. for absolutely so they've named five changes um to the side that secured that bonus point win over Wasps in Coventry Ben Healy starting it out half Niall Scannell John Ryan Jean Klein and Jack O'Donoghue coming into the pack for that game tomorrow at 8 o'clock so we've kind of nearly at this stage Michael got into a mindset I'd say where we're going to have to get used to looking at our our big teams with some newer faces in there because we're not going to have the pick of the players that we have had um, in the last few months yeah, that's the situation. And, uh, you know, like, like we're in a kind of mad scenario, like where normally this time of the year, fellas will be getting a rest because they haven't, uh, because they've played loads of matches. We're now in a scenario where fellas will be giving games because they haven't played an awful lot. And, you know, it's interesting to hear Johan van Grand during the week talking about Dave Kilcoyne playing last weekend, and it was his first match in eight weeks. You know, there's loads of fellas who were undercooked. I mean, this has a, a kind of, this is a knock on effect as well in terms of preparations for the Six Nations Championship. Um, you know, which comes around pretty thick and fast in uh, in, in in February also. So, um, yeah, you know, you, you could have p- people given out for the last number of years, and correctly so. That say, for example, that Munster Leinster match on St Stephen's Day was like the Munster seconds against the Leinster thirds, and you know they were complaining about paying money to go to see a game like that, and a lot of the top class players were missing. Rather bizarrely, we could have a scenario this year where you know, in front of only five thousand people, you could have a full strength Munster against a full strength Leinster. Basically, because of the fact that the players need um, need games, you know, and um, it's just uh, it's just look, it's the times we live in. We just we've got to we just got to get on with it, basically. But um, certainly, I mean, it's a huge test. We saw what happened in terms of the the younger players from Munster point of view coming in last week and how they sell so well. Um, and um, you know, there's obviously some re- reinforcements uh, coming in in terms of players, particularly up front. Uh, you know, Niall Scanlon, Jean Klein, Jack O'Donoghue, people like that. And they'll be needed because, um, you know, e- even looking at the caster team that's that's been sent over uh, for the game, they're down a few players, certainly. Uh, but they're always a pretty physical and niggly team and matches between Munster and Cast have always been 
in in my years of doing this competition have always been massively spiky affairs altogether and I expect Thomond Park to be uh, one of those again uh, tomorrow evening. Yeah, plenty to look forward to there. Uh, you uh, mentioned as well the fact that we're seeing a lot of the um, international players returning or potentially will as well, definitely in Connacht. So Bundy Aki is among, among six returning Ireland internationals named in that Connacht side for Sunday's uh, clash away to Leicester. Yeah, and it's a very strong team. I mean, it was at their game last week when they played Stade Francais. They dismantled them completely. That's the reality about it. Um, I was talking to Bundy, actually. I met him on the, on the way to the car after the match, and he had said that he had a good week's training, the week running up to that one, so he's quite happy that he was going to make it. Uh, that's a very strong team um, that Connacht have, have chosen and been able to, 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 to pick a very strong bench as well. Uh, but they're up against the informed team, you could say, actually, in Europe, because... Leicester Tigers haven't lost the match all season and they've really turned around there since uh, Steve Borthwick took over. So it's going to be a big test for Connacht. Um, but, you know, uh, Connacht have shown that they've gone to Toulouse, you know, a couple of years back. I was there with them on the day. Everybody fancied Toulouse to win the match and, and Connacht turned around and won it. So they, they, do have, um, they do have a big performance in them and that's probably one of the frustrating things about watching Connacht over the years. They can be maddeningly maddeningly uh, sort of um, uh, inconsistent at times but I mean they were absolutely fantastic last week in the demolition of Stade Francais and I, you know, I hope they carry that good form into Welford Road uh, on Sunday. So there's been an awful lot of conversation about Munster and the potential replacements for Johan van Graan. We've had Scott Robinson uh, been mentioned by Donald Lenehan last night. Bernard Jackman mentioned Declan Kidney. Ronan Agara today has ruled himself out of the job. He feels he needs to stay in France for a little bit longer after committing to La Rochelle um, as their head coach. Who do you think is going to go to Michael and do you think that Ron Nagara has done the right thing by opting out of it for now? Yes, I do. Um, and you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said, oh, is Roger shooing for this? And I said, I, I hope, I sincerely hope that he's not um, because I think he's, there's no doubt whatsoever, he's a very talented, young, up-and-coming coach. But I think um, somebody... Uh, more mature and with more experience is actually needed for this uh, gig. I mean, the Munster gig is a really big one, but it's got to be filled from the top down. So you've got to appoint the head person first and then maybe an attack coach and then perhaps a defence coach, depending on whether JP Ferreira hangs on or otherwise. But I have a suspicion that he will probably head away to, to Bath with uh, Johan van Graan. So it's a, it's a massive job. Scott Robertson would be absolutely brilliant um, if they could manage to entice him um, across now that Joe Schmidt is getting involved with the All Blacks so Scott Robinson may see his, his path to taking over the All Blacks uh, blocked for four or five or six years so he might like to dip his toe in the water perhaps somewhere overseas and um, I know that he has a strong connection through Raj with um, Munster so certainly he would be there um, David Vessels the uh, former um, Melbourne Rebels head coach who was on the shortlist for the match the last or for the gig the last time when um, Johan van Graan got it, um, he's available also. He's another South African. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big, a big, big um, job, a big, a big gig to fill. I'm hoping that Graham Roundtree stays on because I think he's massively experienced and um, he will certainly have a big part to play in terms of Munster moving forward.
Michael, I'm just looking at this lad Robertson that they're talking about taking over. I hope he doesn't think he'll get away with those breakdance celebrations now if he comes <laughs> over to Munster. <laughs> well, I t- I'll tell you something, Alan. Like he's he's um, he's a real people person. I, I've actually had the good fortune to spend a bit of time in his company when he was a player um, with Spirits, and then I met him down in, in New Zealand a couple of times when he was with the Crusaders. And he's just one of these, like he 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 uh, he's just one of these um, likable individuals. A really really good coach, great great people person. He loved it in Beirits because he's into um, uh, surfing and he used to go surfing every day when he was uh, when he was playing down there. He told me, so he really liked it. The real outdoorsy kind of fella, and I think. Um, Certainly would be an incredible dance-off between him and Simon Zebo, perhaps, uh, to see uh, uh, who'd be the best at the moves. I think Zebo would probably fancy himself, but I think he might be... Uh he might be taken apart by uh, Scott Robinson if he did actually end up coming to Munster. He sounds a bit like me. He just loves life, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you were actually going to talk about uh, your breakdown stability there, Alan. For a second, <laughs> no, it's funny. I, the I reason I brought it up, that. Michael, was because I don't know. Did you see Ronnie Dahlia, who used to manage Celtic, and he won the yes. um, the uh, tournament over in America with the, last week, and he celebrated by taking <laughs> everything off and dancing and doing all sorts. So I hope this isn't a trend that's coming into sport. If no, if no, a manager no, wins no, no, a competition. No, I mean, it's it's a it's a real uh, you know the Crusaders have been superbly successful in terms of Super Rugby over the years, and it's it's kind of the his his trademark celebration at the end of the season, uh, even with the suit on in the middle of the muck wherever they happen to be playing. Now normally it's uh, at their home ground because they normally have home advantage in the final of a competition. They're so good, and to see him, um, I'm sure that you know he's plenty of other suits, but. Uh, to see him hitting the, hitting the deck there and uh, and the moves, um, he he really uh, he he really is fantastic. To be fair about it, you could see why everybody why it's a happy camp, and you could see why everybody wants to play for him. Well, Alan Colley is wearing a bright orange T-shirt and a <laughs> denim jacket, so he looks like he could go breakdancing any minute now. Before we finish up, Michael, the IRFU have uh, had a very interesting week and quite an interesting day, day, really. So they have backtracked on the publication of the women's reviews. We are actually going to see the contents of them now. And from reading the statement that they released today as well, they've backtracked quite a bit as well on their attitude yeah. to the women's game and about bloody time. Yeah, I, 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 t- I thought the, today's statement was far more conciliatory in its uh, tone and indeed the words that were used in it compared to what was used earlier in the week. I mean, I thought the one in the early part of the week was completely inflammatory. Now, you know, I actually have to do a double take because it feels like as if this has been going on for about a month. Yeah. Um, but uh, look, you know, it, we have to give them credit where credit is due in terms of... Um, um, you know, cl- they climbed down for want of a better phrase... Um, I mean the, the the women's team. I've been following women's rugby for a hell of a long time, and they they, you know, they they, they deserve to be treated with respect. And I think some of the some of the stuff that was used was slightly disrespectful to them. To be fair, so I'm quite happy to see that um, the Irish Rugby Football Union have seen sense at last, and hopefully this is um the uh, this is the this is the sort of the the, the handout to um in terms of uh, peace and trying to get uh, everything sorted out. Yeah, you'd hope that it's genuine because when you look at that first statement that you were speaking about and just the inflammatory language that were used in it and compare it to today's one, in a way, if you're being cynical, you'd wonder, is it just because the the threats that have came over the last couple of days about potentially withholding funding and having to meet the minister and people calling for sponsors to look at them? Like, I just mm. hope that it's, it's genuinely how they feel and that they're doing it for the right reasons and they actually have 
come around to a situation where they understand that they need to respect and value these women and the contribution that they've made so far and also the potential contribution that these women can make as well? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, I mean, things sometimes can be viewed differently in hindsight and on mature reflection, I would think. They've had a couple of days to think back of the way they handled this or maybe didn't handle it correctly uh, at the very beginning of this week. And um, they see this now as the... um, as the way forward um and i mean that they had to move from the position that they were in because you don't want you know you don't want um in, in entrenched positions particularly given the fact that you know quite a few of the people who signed the letter um have a part to play for ireland in the upcoming six nations championship next year um and that certainly wouldn't bode well for the start of um the coaching career of greg mac williams basically so um you know they 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 had to move that's the reality about it I know, I, I would imagine there was some behind-the-scenes pressure put on them, but um, I would welcome the fact that they're publishing uh, in full the report, reports, and I would also welcome the fact that there will be dialogue uh, between the Minister and everybody concerned. OK, on that note, Michael Corcoran, we will bid you farewell. Enjoy tonight's game and any other game that you get to go to, because, as we said, who knows when there's going to be crowds there again. We will check in with you soon. Now, we will return again to the restrictions and the announcements by Michal, Michal Martin. We are starting to understand now the situation that sports finds itself in. It looks like from Sunday evening, attendance at outdoor events should be limited at 50% or 5,000 people, whichever is lower. And then for indoor events earlier in the day, attendance should be limited to 50% of venue capacity or 1,000 people, whichever is lower. And to talk Talk us through all of this. I'm delighted to say that Irish Sun chief sports writer Neil O'Riordan is with us on the line. Neil, Alan Cawley, I don't know if you heard him at the top of the programme, was just talking about what a difficult 24 hours it's been for everybody, not just people involved in sport wondering about what games we're going to go to. But just it's been it's been hard to almost process everything that's happened in the last uh, couple of hours and days. Yeah, exactly, because you, you you get told, you know, where we're kind of over the worst of the things that have been opened up and then uh, it just seems to be setback after setback. So, you know, there's no real sense that you're actually getting on top of this, that, you know, as soon as you, you do kind of make progress, then you're knocked back again. Um, and sport's no different from the other sectors. The one thing I would say is that I do think this probably isn't the worst time in the in the world for it to happen um, in a sporting calendar point of view. Uh, obviously, some sports will be more affected than others, but um, you know, from it's not championship season for GAA, it's the League of Ireland is out of season. Uh, you know, it's, there's no rugby international, so you're talking more about the, the provinces being affected. Obviously, horse racing will be badly affected, but um, it could 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 have come with a worse time of the year that for sport. I think. Yeah, that's that's a positive spin that that you've put on it there, all right. And, and look, it is true. There, there. If it was the height of the summer or anything like that, we would be in a in a worse situation. But at the same time, you know, you're listening to Michael Corkman there, and he's talking about twenty six thousand people going to an interpro game. The fact that Munster would have been looking at that million quid and thinking, right, we need that for X, Y. And Z. So there are some big things like horse racing as well. They've had a, a tough old time of it. And I was listening to Claire Byrne earlier and uh, Johnny Ward was making the point that a lot of it with horse racing is habitual and people are now getting out of the habit of going to the races as well. So, you know, things can be damaged on a, on a broader scale, even if it's only a, a small period where things are shut down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I guess, well, that might be the case in horse racing, but I think we actually saw 
at other sports that maybe the um, there was a great yearning to be at events uh, like we certainly saw that in football. Um, it, with some clubs, yes, they they found it difficult to get back, but um, other clubs, you could see that there was a, a huge demand for tickets once things were opened up again, which probably culminated in the FEI Cup final getting such a big mm-hmm. attendance. So it probably varies from sport to sport and even club to club. So um, you, you know, I guess it might a lot might depend on the age demographic too I think maybe supporters younger people were keener to get out again whereas older people if they've just gotten to the habit of uh, not going out as often and maybe feeling a bit nervous about going out you can see how that would affect yeah for sure I wouldn't like to be the people who are in charge of the tickets now though because anyone that Mm -hmm. has bought a ticket is going to want to go to a game as well so how you're going to try and distribute 5,000 tickets um, amongst 26,000 fans would be quite difficult I'd say Neil yeah definitely like that's like when I say rugby isn't affected in terms of there being no test matches, which will be the the main driver of the IRP finances. Obviously, the provinces are you know these not only are there European fixtures, but the inter pros are around this time of the year, so they are the kind of uh, the games where you're kind of banking on your your biggest gates. Um, I had a quick quick look there just about the, the various things, but it went into January 30th. So as well as the inter pros every year province would have another home game after this which would fall into that window um, in Europe um, so that would be a blow uh, looking at the GA obviously there's a lot of um, finals being played club finals being played um, this weekend which might which will escape before the Sunday night comes in but the National League is due to start on January 30th which is today that the uh, these restrictions are due to end I'm not sure if it's not a coincidence or I they needed to bring it forward uh, 24 hours to Ensure that those kind of open eyes of the league isn't affected. So it'll, they're, they're, it will impact, and I guess all the sporting organisations will be trying to assess right now how it will impact them. Yeah, I'd say we await those statements as well because no doubt they will probably come and, and we'll get reaction from them. So, as it, from what we gather, then it's Sunday night until the end of January, Neil. Yeah, January 30th was mentioned, and as I, I assume that is inclusive. Uh, so that would affect, as I stand, the opening day of the, the National League and the GAA. But you would imagine, as kind of as happened, I think, with previous lockdowns, that there was a bit of a lobbying for it to, for it to maybe end a, a day a day earlier earlier than anticipated, just to allow kind of crowds at that. Um, the one thing I will say about the rugby as well, uh, if any sporting body can uh, soak up losses, it's the RFU. Um, I was just looking back at a. Um, their accounts which they released last month and uh, their complaint was that the results had gone from 98 million pre-pandemic to 52 million. Now, I don't doubt that that has caused a great deal of alarm and obviously there were um, job losses but when you compare their finances to the, um, the FEI, for example, you know, you're talking chalk and cheese like that. The, the reserves of the IRFU is, is more or less the, the debt of the IRFU in, in reverse, you know, so um, they're probably better equipped to tough, tough it out than most yeah, but at the same time, there are people we know working in these associations who have lost their jobs and were put down to, to four days a week. So although they have Completely, a lot... Completely, no. I, yeah. I, I, but I, actually, I, and I think the IRFU have a bit of explaining to do with that because when they have those reserves, um, you know, I would have liked to have seen a bit more um, solidarity yeah. for their employees that they could have um, dipped into those reserves so they didn't have to take those measures because obviously the well-paid players took hits but obviously people on much lower salaries and administrative roles were also hit and I don't think that needed to happen. 
Yeah, for sure. That's a very good point as well. They have a lot of explaining to do on a lot of things, Neil, <laughs> you'll find. Uh, right, we're going to take a very quick break. We will have... Well, it's a COVID hit, of course. We know now that half of the weekend's Premier League fixtures are off after four more games were postponed because of COVID-19 outbreaks and we will get into that a little bit later with Fergal Brennan but first of all we're going to talk about Stephen Kenny yesterday we found out our opposition for the Nations League and today Stephen Kenny was facing the media we thought we might learn a little bit more about his contract situation and how long more he's going to be involved for we're not really sure about that yet but he, he definitely talked about it and he said that the talks are underway he spoke to Tony O'Donoghue a little bit earlier let's hear from him Discussions just started, and you know, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll sort it all out in due time. Yeah, but you'd like to be involved. I'm sure you've said this before. You're building towards the Euros, and you want to make sure the indications are that you will be involved. Is that the way you see it? Oh yeah, without a doubt. That's why I've always seen it. And uh, you know, I think um, looking forward to the Nations League games, and then on to the the European Championships. But if the contract had been sorted before this draw, these questions wouldn't even be asked. The speculation would have gone away. Well, listen, you know, as I said, we just start, started uh, talking. I met, met Jonathan there the other day. Met him last week. And, uh, you know, so these things, it's an ongoing process and these things uh, take a little bit of time to sort out. Are you confident they'll be wrapped up before Christmas? No, no. You know, it's, you know I wouldn't put a time frame on it. But you are looking forward to, to leading Ireland through the Euro campaign? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, what do we take away from that? He's He'll definitely be there. he's met Jonathan Hill. Yeah. Things are underway. He sounds very relaxed, very calm. It sounds definitely like that they're going in the direction that he wants them to go in, but it doesn't sound like they're going to be it's going to be sorted any time soon. But the only thing about that, Alan, is that seems to have been the case now for quite some time. So we may as well just roll with it and as you said, nearly work under the assumption that he's going to be there and hopefully um for him if all going to plan, he will be there to lead Ireland to the Euros in twenty twenty four. Yeah, absolutely. I've no doubts whatsoever, Marie, that he will be there. Stephen he said himself he will be there. It's just a question of obviously maybe, as he says, agreeing that contract in, in terms of the negotiations and what and that what that entails. But Stephen has to put a value on himself as well, Marie. This isn't a case of just because maybe f- people feel as though results weren't going our way and now obviously we finished the campaign strongly is if Stephen has to jump with this contract and people suggested, oh, well, if he doesn't take this, where does he go? Because he doesn't have anything else lined up in terms of maybe another job. But he wants to be the manager, but he has to put a value on himself as well. So if that means Stephen... I wouldn't say use the word haggling because that wouldn't be the case. He wants to be the manager, so I don't think it's a case of... But I think he has to get the best contract that he feels he deserves and he's fully entitled to do that, Marie. So if that takes another three, four, five weeks on into the new year, which I think it will, like judging by his comments there to Tony, it won't be sorted out before Christmas. We're only a week out from Christmas now. Um, So it will obviously run into the new year, but certainly by the time, obviously, the Nations League starts, which the draw was made for in June, that will all be signed, sealed and delivered. And as I say, Stephen... Whether people like it or not, he's the manager and I think he's right to put a value on himself because he's there on merit and he has been doing a decent job in terms of the way we finished the campaign. So Ireland were drawn against the Ukraine, against Scotland and Armenia and Tony also asked Stephen Kenny about it. It's a, it's a tough draw but one that all the teams are capable of taking points off each other. We're excited by the draw. You know, it's a, it's a competition we want to do well in and we've targeted it as something that we want to do well in because we want to qualify for... For, for, for the European Championships in Germany that's a big objective and uh, we all remember our first ever Euros in Germany and a uh, big big part of football history and we want to get back there 
we you know that's what we want and if you can win the group or even possibly second get you a playoff for that uh, if you can win in, in terms of the Nations League if you win the Nations League group get you a playoff for the Euro playoffs so that's that's a big motivation so we want to do well the four games in 10 days in June it's a huge huge uh, challenge with two trips to Armenia and the Ukraine in the middle of it so we'll clock up the air miles and we'll make sure we're ready and we're looking forward to it. And if they get to the Euros in Germany we'll all have to go well, me and you are definitely going, Marie. And <laughs> we're bringing country. the kids and we're bringing everyone else that wants to come with us. Um, no, like, that's the aim, of course. It's a tricky draw, Marie. It could have been worse, though, and it could have been better. Uh, it's kind of middle of the road. As he said himself, the teams are all capable of taking points off each other. Scotland have actually been on a brilliant run under Steve Clark themselves. They've improved a hell of a lot. They'd be my biggest fear. Obviously, Ukraine are a good side as well. The worry that I would have is the scheduling. And he mentioned it there. There's four games in 10 days. But... Whatever about having four games in 10 days if they're all at home or you're maybe only travelling from here to England. They're travelling to Ukraine, back to Dublin. Or sorry, they're travelling to Kiev, back to Dublin, to Yerevan and back here again. So that's going to take its toll. It's it's hard enough to play four games in 10 days without the travel involved as well. Um, but certainly Stephen's very motivated to do well. And in this Nations League, he's going to approach this in the sense that he feels as though the better he finishes, well, obviously the incentive is there that you may get the playoff spot as well. For okay. the Euros. Right, let's go back to, to, I was going to say football here at home, the Premier League. Fergal Brennan is with us. Fergal, we've been on air now 43 minutes and I haven't been looking at my phone or any news. <laughs> so the latest I heard before I came on was that half of the weekend's Premier League fixtures are off. Has there been any more fallen by the wayside? At this stage, no. Um, there's been no specific changes in terms of the games that are still on. But yeah, 50% of the games have gone and 50% of them are still on as it stands. Two on Saturday, Aston Villa, Burnley, Leeds against Arsenal and then three on Sunday. So the the picture obviously can change. It can move up, it can move down in terms of whether games move to being more likely to being called off or not. Um, in terms of preparing for the weekend, I think pretty much everyone working within Premier League football is being told to expect the unexpected because... The games in midweek that were called off were called off at very, very short notice, particularly um, the Watford-Burnley game. I think that was called off about three, four hours before kickoff, which obviously led to a lot of frustration on, on both sides and, and fans that were travelling for it. Um, as the picture stands now, the five games that are pencilled in to go ahead do look as if they are going to. Um, but based on how fragile and how quickly the situation does change in the next 24, 48 hours, that could potentially be trimmed down to three or four but as it stands, it looks as if those games are going to go ahead. Do you think there's any potential scenario where they decide to have that circuit breaker that so many people are calling for? I think it's a strong possibility. Um, I think, obviously, if we roll back right the way to the beginning of the pandemic and that the Premier League was effectively cancelled um, for about six to eight weeks and then brought back behind closed doors and then staggered into this idea of, of fans returning to stadiums, I definitely think it's a, it's a strong possibility at this stage. There's a, a meeting with all 20 Premier League clubs on Monday morning where they look to thrash out a plan to kind of get through the next two weeks to a month and, and then maybe see what the picture is uh, in, in the middle of January. But in terms of the difficulty of managing the schedule, there's not a worse period that this could have happened in in terms of Premier League football. It's not just this weekend, it's moving towards the 26th. There's a full schedule of games on the 26th and 27th and then a full schedule again on the 28th, 29th and 30th. So after this weekend, including the League Cup, which has 
all Premier League uh, clubs involved in the four games. There's 24 games involving Premier League teams between now and the end of, of 2021. That's a huge amount of football to be played and, and logistically to make sure that the COVID rules are adhered to. It's, it's an absolute nightmare for individual clubs, for the Premier League, uh, the, the FA, everybody that's involved in this. So I think on Monday there will be some sort of announcement in regards to a plan. I think at the moment there's a huge row against cancelling the league or breaking it for two or three weeks because of financially the impact it would have and the clubs that are maybe benefiting from the situation because they're able to fulfil their fixtures mm-hmm. and, and make sure that their squads are not returning positive tests or, or close contacts. Um, but at the moment, I think that that is the message from most clubs. Listening to the press conferences today, most managers are, are taking the approach that they're encouraging players to get vaccinated, um, but they would stop short at forcing the issue or stop short at demanding that players do. Um, but we could potentially see a change on that if the league... Um, the league is cancelled in the next few days. And I'd say Chelsea would mind a little bit of a break, not because of COVID, mm. just because of their poor run of form. They can't seem to get it together. They were disappointing against Everton last night. Um, just been able to, to draw that game one all. And with every passing game and uh, the likes of Man City's recording 7-0 wins and Liverpool not really taking the, the foot off the gas as well. It does feel like they're slipping more into a battle for fourth place than a, a title race. Yeah, we mentioned last week, Marie, that the, the bad week they had against Watford and, and the game at the weekend and that I felt it was more of a blip. But then obviously the beat Leeds at the weekend, 3-2, which they stutter to a win against Leeds and Leeds are poor at the moment. But And they were probably lucky to get the win, the last minute goal. But you look at them again last night drawn with Everton and a depleted Everton team as well. I'd say it's more than a blip now. It's probably concerning for Tuchel at this stage. And as you say, when you look across the league, the, obviously the, the league table, you look at Man City and Liverpool and the imperious for Man City. Man City look just unbelievable now. I think a lot of it, it was probably the best I've seen Man City play in a long, long time, Marie. And I don't want to take away from just how good they were. I thought they were absolutely exceptional. But Leeds certainly helped them in a lot of ways because for all the plaudits Bielsa gets... I just can't understand his approach when you're missing your best players that you're going to the best team in the country who play the best football who will press you all day long and he's taking them on 1v1 all over the pitch and then they're 3 or 4 down a half time and he's at the same stuff in the second half so I thought Bielsa was was massively wrong in his approach to the game the other night and I'm not saying he should change his way in terms of be negative but you have to change your approach when you're playing the best team you can't go taking them on if if you look at your players compared to their players and you're miles off what they are. So I thought he was um, got it so wrong during the week and he's under serious pressure as well. And whatever about losing 1 or 2-0 to Man City, you lose 7-0, that could derail their season altogether because Leeds are in big bother as it is. You look at Liverpool last night again, I think Liverpool are in flying form, they were absolutely brilliant. But I do think the game hinged on the decision, uh, the first goal, because I thought the referee should have stopped the game, Mike Dean. And people were saying Isaac Hayden was feigning injury. I didn't think, I was watching the game live, Marie, and as soon as they went up for the challenge and he was sandwiched in between, the, I think it was um, Lascelles, you could see that he went down straight away holding his head. And the, the referee has to stop it. People were saying Mike Dean didn't see it. I could see straight away looking at the match that he's down holding his head. And people were suggesting, oh, well, it was three or four seconds before the ball went out wide and came back into the box. Three or four seconds is a long time where you can actually assess what's going on on a football pitch and be able to blow the whistle. So... In saying that, Liverpool are probably going to go on and win anyway, Marie, and they're in flying form. So 
that's a long-winded answer going back to Chelsea <laughs> in the sense that it is a concern for Chelsea because you look at Liverpool and City at the moment and they're just relentless. Yeah, they really are. And Eddie Howe, just on that that uh, head injury, Eddie Howe did say that it was unjust that Liverpool scored after Hayden's head injury. But there was, I think people were a bit divided on it really, but it did. Yeah, now I don't think the players, yeah. Marie, should have kicked the ball out of play. I'm not su- suggesting that. I think we've been told if a lad goes down with a head injury, the referee must stop the play straight away. And obviously, we had the incident with De Gea and Fred a couple of weeks back this was the complete opposite that was just a collision between two players who everybody could see De Gea could have easily faced the ball whatever last night I felt Hayden went down with a head injury and the game should have been stopped so we have Liverpool are going to play Spurs next and this should be quite a fascinating counter just given the fact that uh, Spurs have been so heavily hit by Covid and haven't we haven't seen much of them in the last while Fergal yeah I think when you look at the picture, obviously, with Spurs, it's not just COVID. They had a game called off at Burnley because of the snow. So they've actually had their last four games called off, three in the Premier League and and one in Europe, where Liverpool have managed to to keep it together despite a couple of positive COVID tests in the the ranks for for Jurgen Klopp. And you are right, Antonio Conte, the positive signs do look there so far. But because of blocker games that's been cancelled, we haven't maybe seen an enormous amount of them. We haven't seen them against a really big team. This is the biggest test he's had since he's come into the club and, and it will be interesting. They're probably still missing five or six players who are either still testing positive or, or classed as a close contact. Liverpool were missing three players last night for the game against Newcastle and, and managed to get through. So it's probably going to be a case of who's got the, the deeper squad, who's got the better options to say if we're missing four or five players we can raft in these to cover and Liverpool are definitely stronger in that department. Conte will will want to set up to get a positive result. As I say, he has looked good so far, albeit with this huge block of games that have been removed because of either the weather or, or, or COVID. But based on the form that, as Alan said, Liverpool and Manchester City are in at the minute, you just think they're going to steamroller away. Chelsea, whether it's a blip, whether it's something more serious, City and Liverpool won't be concerning themselves with that. They'll be concerning themselves with carrying on winning games and just putting a bit of distance and probably, in my opinion, making it more of a two-horse race in uh, in 2022. Yeah, they certainly look on track to do that. Anyway, Fergal Brennan, thank you so much for joining us. It's time for another quick break and then Jane Mangan will be with us. Now, Alan, my breaks aren't working, so you're going to have to keep on talking. That's no problem to me, Marie. Yeah, not a bother on you. <laughs> you so, know who should, we probably should deserve a mention, and I'm critical of them the majority of time, Marie, but Arsenal were brilliant during the week. And I know, Arteta, you, you look at the situation with Aubameyang. I love his management with Aubameyang because this is the problem with a lot of these players when you're self-indulgent fellas like this. Uh, huge money, so it's a major issue and, and you'd nearly be inclined to play them for that reason alone. But he's whipped the captaincy off him as well. And you look at the younger players, Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli the other night. They're the ones that are leading by example. The younger players have been absolutely fantastic. So I mentioned a few times about Arteta I felt the jury was out, but I thought during the week against the good West Ham team, I thought it was the best they played and there's lots to build on there for them right now at this moment in time. Well, Alan, you know I'm a technical genius. So I've got the ads back working again. <laughs> on 2FM. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. We are still talking COVID and restrictions and what these new decisions will mean for the world of sport. Well, to explain to us what it means for horse racing, Jane Mangan joins us. Jane. Yes, Marie, look, like everybody, I've been tuned in to Michal Martin and the latest announcement. I suppose it didn't come as any surprise given 
uh, NEFIT's recommendations that we had heard before this. But as an outdoor event, racing is probably one of the luckier events. And given the time of year and how dark it gets so early, um, the curfew of 5pm isn't likely to impinge on us too much because all last races at Limerick and Leopardstown over the Christmas period are due to be run before 4pm. But I suppose the main thing is it is an outdoor event. That means 5,000 people um, have the option to go there. But I, I, I must stress it is definitely down to the prerogative of each individual racetrack. Everybody knows that each uh, racetrack has a different facility, has a different capacity. And uh, I'd imagine both Limerick and Leopardstown and beyond, of course, this goes into January, each track will be taking their time to digest the announcements, to adjust accordingly. And uh, I, I'd expect news from individual tracks uh, in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky time, even just trying to, to figure it out and understand and uh, decide what to, to do with the uh, individual events. It's it's tough for people because hard decisions are going to have to be made. But Jane, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. It is award season and Rachel Blackmore is blazing a trail through the awards as well. <laughs> she really is. Look, today, uh, the Irish Times in, uh, Sportsman of the Year I think this could be the start of a huge weekend for her of course we know she's nominated for the RTE Sports Person of the Year Award and she's also nominated in the BBC for World Sports Person of the Year Award alongside Max Verstappen, Novak Djokovic Tom Brady, like absolutely the biggest in the world and uh, she deserves to be there. What she has done is unprecedented, winning the Inter Grand National, what she did at Cheltenham is the top of her sport and we know how good she is, it's just a it's almost satisfying for everybody, uh, even inside our sport and beyond, that in, on a world stage, this girl is getting the recognition that she deserves because she is so humble. She would never put herself out there um, and get these plaudits as just, you know, a recognition of her, of her brilliance. Um, there's a lot of negative press at the moment. There's a lot of things going on. And I think when you have a superstar shining through, we should really give her the stage. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll never get sick of talking about her anyway. So action this weekend, Jane, what can we look forward to? Look, the, the long walker that Ascot is the main, uh, the main race this weekend. There's a lot coming up in Ireland over Christmas and we uh, finish before the Christmas break at Thurless on uh, Sunday. But the long walker, we do have an Irish contender, Ronald Pump, was last seen chasing home Honeysuckle, the mighty Honeysuckle in the Hatton's Grace. Well, he's going to take on the likes of Thyme Hill and Co. in the long walk hurdle. Matthew Smith, they didn't have him quite right last year. He looks like he has him back on song. He's take on the likes of Champ, uh, Paisley Park, previous winner Thomas Darby, Lisnagar, Oscar, all grade one winners. But Ronald Pump has a decent each way chance for Keith Dunhu and, and uh, Matthew Smith. And I hope he runs well and gives us uh, probably wet the appetite for what is uh, going to be an amazing Christmas festival period for a lot of people, whether they can go or not is the next question yeah it sure will be amazing we'll have more Jane Mangan on the telly as well and that is something to look forward to Jane thank you so much for joining us we will check in with you soon that is all we have time for this evening Alan Cawley thank Pleasure you very Marie. much for coming in and no bringing problem. your denim jacket with you um, we will be back next week reflecting on a weekend of hopefully uh, very busy uh, pitches all around the country Two. Two. Game on on 2FM. With Green Farm. Fuel your day with Green Farm's high-protein cooked chicken breast fillet. 100% natural and packed with flavour.